Tammy, case number one. This started the whole thing, 1975. Two young field agents investigate a murder in Olympia, Washington. They arrive at a motel to arrest a suspect named Lois Duffy. They hear a gunshot outside her room and kick the door in. They find two women inside, one on the floor dying from a bullet wound to the abdomen. The other holds a gun, which she drops as she backs away when they enter. They recognize the wounded woman as Lois Duffy. She speaks her last words to them. I'm like the blue rose. She smiles, then dies, then disappears before their eyes. The other woman screaming in the corner, they now notice is also Lois Duffy. By the way, Lois Duffy did not have a twin sister. Then, while awaiting trial for a murder she swore she didn't commit, this Lois hangs herself. Those two arresting officers were Gordon Cole and Philip Jeffries. Now, what's the one question you should ask me? Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, February 26, 2018, and I hope you've all had a wonderful Twin Peaks day this past Saturday. As Special Agent Dale Cooper would say, Harry, I think I'm going to need a donut. And by way of synchronicity, as we enter into another season of Treefort Music Fest, 42 minutes, I should note that the Chicago band Twin Peaks plays a couple times this year at Treefort, Thursday night at the El Cora Shrine and Friday evening on the main stage. Yet after that show, we'll want to make our way over to the Linen Building to catch Prom Queen at 7 p.m. Prom Queen, Seattle's Glitter Gloom Band, is comprised of eight virtuoso musicians fronted by the bouffant-wearing vocalist Lini Quino. The group includes two electric guitar players, bass, saxophone, drums, and a duo of drag queen backup singers. While tracks from the band have been featured on outlets like IndieWire, KEXP, and Seattle City Arts Magazine, Prom Queen's latest release, Doom Wop, is the group's most complete and acclaimed album. A theatrical record featuring songs about going blonde, the end of the world, mania, and loneliness, the work is brought to life when Prom Queen takes the stage. Imbuing qualities of haunted Americana, Prom Queen very much in the lineage of John Waters and Twin Peaks shows that they are equal parts nostalgia and numinous mystery. Today for 42 Bits, we are meeting the bouffant-wearing vocalist, Lini Quino, a.k.a. Celine Ramadan, a.k.a. Snacks the Bunny. Celine is an amazing talent both on stage and behind the scenes. She can do it all. Singer, songwriter, composer, comedian, producer, videographer, editor, you get the idea. To get a taste of this talent, check out our music video film for Prom Queen's album, Midnight Veil, vale, to which we'll link. I'm quite happy to discover her work, and it's an honor to have her join us today. How are you doing tonight, Lini? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Thank you. So I have to say that was quite an intro. That was really something. <laughs> it was, and now I, I have no idea where I'm going. Uh <laughs> We'll get there together. We will get there together. Well, let's just start with Twin Peaks. I think because of your proximity, you did you go to the Twin Peaks Fan Fest? You know, I went this last year to the uh, North Bend Festival, but I didn't have a ticket, so I was just sort of on the outskirts of it. And I and we played a show 
that weekend um, at the wine cellar downtown. So we had a lot of Twin Peaks Fest attendees uh, packing out the place. So it was a really fun event, and I got to hang out with everybody from the festival, and it was a great time. And and then this year we also went to Twin Peaks Fest um, in London. We went over to the UK and, and played at the Roadhouse at the Twin Peaks Fest over there. Have Have you ever played the the quote-unquote roadhouse in North Bend? You know, it's crazy, but we've never played there. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so what did you think? So this, it's it's strange, but this summer was a pretty magic time for me to have this weekly thing that I got to look forward to and then to try and unpack. Um, and I ended up doing a bunch of shows on that too. But what what did you think of the new series, The Return? Oh, I loved it. I had such a great time. We had like a little ritual with some friends um, that hosted every every week and we'd all get together and, and watch the episodes on a big screen. And um, my ritual around it was to watch the episode on Sunday and then I really like listening to podcasts about it. So I'm hearing people that are smarter than me figure stuff out <laughs> about the show. Um it was just such a fun I don't really watch a lot of TV um, because a lot of it I'm just not interested in but you know it's like when I heard Twin Peaks was coming back of course I was going to be religious about it so I definitely watched every week and it was it was the most fun well so now in in some of your social media I saw a picture of David Lynch did you see him do something somewhere yeah he was just in LA recently and he was doing uh, he was speaking about Transcendental Meditation, and I'm endlessly fascinated with that, um, and also just having the opportunity to hear David Lynch talk about anything in real life was a real treat, and I happened to get in the front row. It was very magical, and so it was great. Um, it was a great evening. So, L.A., you, I, I think when I contacted you, you were still living in Seattle, and now it, it sounds like maybe you moved to L.A., yeah, I recently moved to L.A., although it's funny, I'm in Seattle at the moment, uh, so I'm kind of back and forth a lot. But, um, yeah, I just made the move, and I'm quite happy about it. It's really wonderful. And so is that, I mean, I lived in Seattle for a time, and I definitely loved it, but I, mm-hmm. think, I think L.A. is an entirely different beast. Would you say that? Oh, yeah. I would say that. You know, it feels like a different planet in so many ways. It's almost like an alien You know, it's almost like an alien planet, Um, but it's, um, I've been in Seattle for 14 years and it was really time for a change, Um, you know, for creative reasons and career reasons and weather reasons, you know, I was ready for something new. So I'm I'm really happy about it. Yeah, I, I, I imagine there's a lot more opportunity in L.A. for someone like you. Yeah, I mean, you 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 did a really good job of uh, <laughs> listing off my uh, my hats that I wear. But it's a lot of hats. But it's a lot of hats that are kind of surround, uh, you know, entertainment or arts and you know things where people are creating things. And there's just simply a lot more opportunity in Los Angeles for me. So, well, so like the the video project. Midnight Veil, so your your video movie for that album. You, you, yeah. I mean, it really, I got, I got the sense that, I mean, in some fashion, that might be like a whole scene in Seattle, like 
all the different people. The, it's like a whole constellation of really creative, interesting folks. Yeah, absolutely it is. But um, like that might be, you know, the extent of it, whereas in L.A. there's just producers and, you know, money and projects and... You, you know, I don't know. I think there's no there's no shortage of creative people in either city. I think you'll find all kinds of wonderfully creative people both places. I think for me, it's just a place. Uh, you know, being uh, it's just the difference of where am I finding work and how am I paying rent, and it's it's that difference. You know. Well, so I heard I listened to you on a podcast, and you talk a little bit about working for a company called Live Wires, and so. Yeah. <laughs> In your time in Seattle, did you did you ever have to have like, were you able to fake it and do all these like quasi artistic jobs that p- propelled you in your, you know, in the in the direction that you wanted to go? Yeah, I mean that's basically been my life in Seattle. I, I only in, I only uh, worked full time for a few small pockets of time in my fourteen years living here. Most of it has been just hustling and like doing singing telegrams and um, making, you know, composing jingles for people, shooting someone's video, editing someone's video, uh, performing, you know, you name it. It's just, it was just, has always, always been a hodgepodge of um, things. And, you know, it's like, I usually have like 13 to 15 tax forms every year that I'm filing. It's just like insane. Um, But yeah. That, that's sort of been the way I've always kind of operated. Having just one job, to me, it's not as stimulating. I kind of like doing a lot of different things. And so as a singing telegram person, you related how to maximize your money for the gig, you can't spend too much time <laughs> <laughs> preparing. And so you're basically winging it every time. But then you also spoke about how uh, you know, the company was all over the place in terms of what people wanted, whether it was like a stripper or, you know, a mask or whatever. And so yeah. it, it's, it sounds like maybe Snacks kind of was born of that job. Yeah, I think that in a way, because I did so much event work where I was characters at events, I learned the things that I like to do with crowds. And I didn't do that much mascot work, but I did one time get hired to be Winnie the Pooh and just um, being in a mascot costume, there was like a weird, fun, like power behind it. But it was, I, I also just think mascots are hilarious. I think they're so funny. And so I've always just, the idea of just like a frozen expression, um, a frozen facial expression to me is just, um, is just, there's so much comedy there. Uh, so I think I just always wanted to create a character that was in a mascot suit and, um, Snacks the Bunny was an idea for years and years and years before I even pulled the trigger and did it. Um, and then I finally started doing it and it's been kind of a slow crawl because I don't like it to me, it's just a passion project. It's just like a total fun, weird thing I do on the side, but, um, but I still love doing it and writing for it and coming up with little ideas for it. And so for listeners who may not be familiar, Snacks the Bunny what what is snacks the bunny snacks the bunny is a, is a stand-up comedian bunny <laughs> and uh that's really you know and snacks is always trying to like figure out life trying to like you know just it, it there's a lot of like commentary about you know 
self-love and, and, and depression and, and, uh, you know, our cycles that we get into and it like, even though it's a bunny, it's really comedy about being human, you know? Have, have you done stand up before? Snacks the bunny? <clears throat> um, I did improv for 15 years. Um, and I did some stand up, but really my stand up acts were just bits. I used to do competitions with a stand up bit where I would impersonate different vocalists because I'm a vocal impersonator. So I would go through, I'd pick a bunch of singers and I would just kind of go through um, their voices and, and do that. And I did, I did some competitions with that when I was in college and then I kind of stopped doing it and mostly just did improv. But so snacks is the first return to stand up that I've done since college. And do you get more nervous performing as prom queen or as snacks or is it just different altogether? Or do you get nervous at all? <laughs> I, I don't really get that nervous doing prom queen shows. Um, which is funny because I used to do comedy all the time. And then when I did my first music show, it terrified me uh, because it was just so vulnerable. And now I feel a tremendous freedom doing music. Whereas comedy, you're trying to elicit a specific response from the audience. You're trying to get laughter and like, I'm not trying to get the audience to do anything as a musician. I'm just delivering a song. And uh, I think for me, I'm still, you know, fairly new to the stand-up thing. It's, it's hard not to get in your head if um, it's hard not to get in your big bunny head when um, <laughs> the audience isn't laughing, but it's also really tragic to be a, a person in a bunny suit uh, to a room that's not laughing. It's tragically funny to me anyway. Well, so there's a clip out in the world of, of snacks performing on the gong show, which I didn't even know was a thing, but how, how, yeah. how does that happen? And, um, <laughs> it, well, it it was just so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I I applied um, and I forgot that I applied, which was funny because then I got a phone call and I was like, oh yeah, I did that. I just heard it was coming back and I thought it was the perfect vehicle because you know it's like I had this character and I've, I've been looking for opportunities for it, but kind of lazy about it. And then I I but I applied to that show and then um, yeah they called and they wanted it they wanted me on the show. And so I had a lovely time with that crew. I think that was a really, really fun show to work on. And it was such a great experience. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. Well, we'll link to it so everyone can see. I mean, you end up <laughs> gonging Fred Armisen. So yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to do that? No. <laughs> and then, so, but so snacks speaks in a, in a, a bunny voice, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you just do in the mask, or is that something that you do? You have some digital manipulation, or is that a trade secret? Yeah, I, I have a vocal effects unit um, on stage with me. So, and I, I set the preset to be Snacks' voice. So I I made a preset so that it sounds like that character. So I can just plug it in, turn it on, and it, it, and I can talk through a microphone, and it'll it'll send the effect to the microphone. Um, but there have been times when I haven't had a mic and I've had to just impersonate it and I can do a pretty good job of impersonating the effect, uh, in real time. So it's kind of good that it's a voice that I can kind of pull off if I needed to, if the thing stopped working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I notice in all everything you do, there's a really, 
uh, definite sense of style. And I'm I'm just curious about like your guitars mm -hmm. and all the little rhinestones or I don't even know what we call these things, but the, the lamp in the Midnight Veil is decorated in a similar fashion. I'm guessing that this is you. Is that correct? Well, I, it's, it's, it's not exactly me, but it, it was me hiring my friend Paris to do it, <laughs> if that's what you mean. Um, I am not a costumer or a rhinestone I'm artist. I'm not patient with things like rhinestones, but um, my lovely friend Paris Original is um, a really amazing costume designer, and I've asked him to, I asked him to take that old vintage Jim Beam bottle and make a genie lamp out of it, and that's what he came up with. And he made two of those because we have to break one in the in the movie, so he had to make two of them, and it's so beautiful, and I still have it, um, you know, on my mantle. It's it's like one of my favorite things that I own. Um, and then with my guitars, I just had him, you know, sit down and rhinestone them, and he did such a beautiful job. Yeah. They, I mean, it's very distinct. <laughs> um, yeah. But so in in terms of the movie, like, it seems super ambitious. Did you get into it and realize, oh, my gosh, what did we do? Or did you just – are you – I mean, this is what you do anyway, and so, um, you know, here it is, just another day's work. It was for sure crazy to, I, I mean, it's a 12-song video album, um, and I think, for me, one of my things is, if I come up with a really ambitious idea, and and it's something that really excites me, and the only reason I wouldn't do it is because it's going to be a lot of hard work, then I have to do it. And so that's what happened. I, I had the concept to do a video album for Midnight Vale. And I said it out loud to a friend. And then I was like, oh, damn it. Now I have to do it. Um, because it was just, I thought it was just too, too exciting of an idea to not do it as hard as it was going to be. So the hardness of it, the difficulty of it was just, it was inherent, you know. And But what I wasn't expecting and what was really wonderful was just, how people supported that project and not just money wise, like we got our Kickstarter goal, but also like I learned, like there was not a single person that said no to me that year. Like every time I asked every person that's in that film is my first choice. I never had to recast anything. I never had to get a location that wasn't the one that I wanted. Everything that I wanted, I got. And that is what you get to see in that movie is exactly what I imagined. And so that was just such a magical thing. And so because of all that support, the times of difficulty and the times where it just was long hours and really tough, like it was hard not to just still be inspired to push through all that because everyone was just really excited and counting on us. And me and my uh, partner, Danny, were working on it. And, uh, you know, he and I just worked around the clock and we finished it and, I'm still really, really proud of it, and I still can go back and watch it and just be like, wow, yep, we did all that. The crazy thing that I, you know, it's like, because when you make a film, you know, usually a film will have some locations that you repeat <laughs> and some people, some cast members that you repeat, uh, but this was like every three minutes, it's a completely different environment, completely different cast, different concept, different style. So, um, you know, it's like, it's 12 short films, really. With animation too, 
with animation, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then you get a nice taste of the city, just like <laughs> like a really nice taste of the city, actually. Of Yeah, oh, good, I'm glad. Well, so like you're running around the EMP, um, mm-hmm. you're out on the lake, you're just everywhere, showgirls, you know. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really we really showed it all. <laughs> yeah. Uh as far as so you are one of the actors in the video, you perform as kind of a background musician at times. What about mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned before that you do you wear lots of hats. What about, you know, the technical side? You know, where and what's the difference between like a videographer and a and a DP? Well, you know, DP, director of photography, you know, it's the person, you know, they're sort of running, calling the shots. Um, I think videographer could just apply to someone who's operating a camera, but you also have camera op. I mean, there's like a million terms you can call. It's, they're interchangeable. Um, uh, so it's really just what the person prefers, I guess, like, especially if you're kind of trusting them to craft the visual. Um, so... Well, in, in this, I say that, but it's in a small non-union project, of course. Like, we, we could call ourselves whatever we want. Um, but, yeah, I did, for the film, I did, you know, some shooting. I did, you know, there, we were running on such a small crew. For some, There were some times when it was just me and Danny and, like, two other people. Um, and we were lighting it all. We were, like, shooting. We were doing everything. All the pre-production, all the post-production, you know, art direction, styling i did a lot of styling for the videos um and then i did editing too so and then i was making the record with tom uh, you know on this at the same time we were tracking and recording the record oh so the record i just assumed that the record was done and then you oh shot- well we had like we had like that we, we had an, we had enough of it done that we could re- make the videos to it but you know the mixes weren't fully done you know we were still you know, recording the trumpet solos, you know, stuff like that. But we had enough of it where we could be like, all right, well, we'll use this recording for the shoot. But uh, we were still making it as we were making the videos. Yeah. And so what, what was the ultimate, like, what was the kernel that was the inspiration for the whole thing? Was that the music was something and then as you were putting the album together, that's when you had the idea, oh, we should turn this into a know video movie i think for me it was just you know i i wanted it to be something that people could be more immersed in and you know i like i i thought about the idea that someone might just turn it on on spotify and listen to it in the background and and do something else but you know there's the ritual around going to see a movie that i really like where you you go into a theater the room gets dark and everyone watches the screen for a couple of hours and they're fully immersed. And so I kind of wanted that for this record. I wanted people to be able to just experience it and get some really nice visuals and see some cool stuff and, and, and really like hear the music in a way that they might not have without having that visual element. Well, speaking of visuals, so there's, I think in the song out of my mind, you have, a genie playing with the bottle in the shadows and she's uh-huh. like juggling balls and stuff. And, and yeah. just the choreography of that is just, it's, it's really fun. And then that's at the end during the credits too. But if you end up watching it, you don't read any of the credits. So it's, you have to watch it again to 
read the names on the credits. Yeah, see, see, darn, you got to watch it again. You got to watch it again. Well, and then I hope people watch it more than once. And it's also, it's 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 naughty too. I mean, (laughs) it's it's (laughs) it's it's kind of it's well, it's tongue in cheek, but I mean, it's it's really it's it's sexy and fun and uh, spaceships and it's got it's got it all. Yeah, yeah, but, it should it should be. Uh, with, and then just so uh, you've got such fabulous taste. Um, something else I found was your your Joe Lies video. Oh yeah, yeah. In in Midnight Vale, do you guys walk? Do you have one, the red haired actress walk by the Say Anything apartment complex? I don't think you did, but I I thought for maybe for a minute maybe no. No, are you talking about the singles building? Actually, yeah, that's it. You're right, the singles yeah. building. No, it do, it does kind of look like that, but no, it's not the same building. Yeah, because when I was living there, I think they took the fountain out, like at that point in time, and then it kind of yeah, went, yeah. We should have used the singles building somewhere in that film, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you were at Dick's Deluxe. You were everywhere. I know we were everywhere. <laughs> so Doom Wop, that's the that's the new album, and it came out last year in response to a wonderful year that we all experienced 2017 yeah yeah and so uh have you have you taken have you taken um prom queen on on a tour before you know touring is really hard um especially when we're such a diy band i mean i'm i'm the manager and the I'm I'm kind of this in a way I'm like the sole band member and everybody else has hired musicians. Um, we don't like pool our money together to do things. It's kind of all out of my pocket. So touring is something that has been kind of impossible because um, doing shows is kind of hard enough as it is. Because if you imagine, you know, it's like you're rehearsing, you're loading up a van, you're promoting your designing a poster you're getting to the venue you know sound checking hours and hours and hours before you're set um you know you do your show you sell your merch and then maybe you make as a band like 50 to 100 bucks and you have to split it up um so that is what live shows are like and then you take that formula and you add travel (laughs) and uh the expensive travel with several people um so that like for our band, it's just been kind of impossible to do touring. The times that we've done it, it's just been me kind of like just deciding that it's more important for me to get us out there than it is, you know, it's like it's worth the expense. And we've done some fundraising for touring, but not a lot. So, no, we really haven't done a lot of touring. And it's like, I would love to do more touring, but it's just kind of impossible. You know, we don't have a van. We don't have a manager. We don't have a booker. We don't have a label. <laughs> so I've always kind of wanted some like bigger band to just take us on tour and we open for them so that we can just kind of like coast a little bit. But um, <laughs> you know, I you know I'm not like maybe someday we'll do it. But I just I don't know. Uh, like a lot of the bands that do it, they you know they just have a different model than we do. And at this point, it's kind of it would be too hard or too late for me to change that. And I don't, I don't know if someone has any ideas come at me, I would love some ideas for how to do a tour, but 
No, I, it's really just a huge expense. But you are coming to Tree Fort? I'm coming to Tree Fort. Have you been to a Tree Fort before? No. And Tell me all about it. Well, it's it's a party in downtown Boise, and it's like summer camp for bands because the whole town just kind of opens its doors and super friendly, and there's food in the street and drinks everywhere, and it's just, you know, a really, really good time, and you see a lot of new music and make lots of new friends, and it's my favorite thing every single year. And I, I end up learning about new musicians and artists this way. It's like I get a year's, yeah. year's worth of music in a very, very short period of time, which is good for me. And so then I, you know, I don't have to work so hard. <laughs> well, you are just the ideal music festival attendant, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, kind of, that's always the hope. You know, the hope is to get people to be excited about bands and music and you know that's great yeah so then i mean in the videos that i've seen of your performances you guys definitely make it a performance and so there's lots of makeup and and costumes and shoes and is that is that the case (laughs) (laughs) that is the case although um you know prom queen i've always i've been sort of starting to call it a collective more than a band because it's like there's eight or nine of us maybe 10, 11 of us, depending on which coast we're on. Like we have different people in different cities that have jumped in to play, but the band configurations are fluid. We aren't usually playing with the same lineup every show. So this show will have these three people. This show will have eight people. This show will have five people. Um, And it's just based on who's available, but I don't like turning down shows. So we just kept adding people and whoever's free, we figure out who's playing what and what the configuration is going to be. So a lot of my bandmates are multi-instrumentalists and they can play either bass or guitar or keys or something. Um, and so it's really great to have this amazing, talented pool of versatile musicians that are ready to kind of like, you know, step into a different role based on what our needs are for that particular show. Um, and that's wonderful, but it also makes it so that we definitely have to rehearse more we can't just be like, oh, yeah, we know those songs. Let's just show up and play. We have to be like, oh, no, wait, let's run this because we've never heard these four people play these four things before. And you yourself are also a multi-instrumentalist. I'm wondering if, like, in terms of the writing, you end up uh, coming up with a lot of the stuff on your own and then having kind of a raw demo that you hand off to some of these really skilled instrumentalists like uh, you can play drums and keyboard and guitar and you could do the whole thing if you wanted is that right yeah well that's exactly how it works um i made the first i made the first record completely by myself night sound the second record i made half by myself and then i brought in i I handed it to tom who then started facilitating the, the live instrumentals like he started bringing in uh, guitars, like overdubbing guitars. Um, he did drums on top of what I recorded. I'm pretty sure. And yeah, he did. Um, and then, so he tracked all the live stuff for the second record. I had, you know, um, software instruments and emulators and stuff. For the third record, we did everything from the ground up. So Tom and I decided to do a full like studio record with the band. So everything started with the band tracking, but 
I had made demos of every song, and so everyone knew roughly what I was looking for, like roughly what kind of drum beat, roughly what kind of guitar part, but they're way better instrumentalists than I am, so they took it and, and ran and made cooler things happen with it. So, yay. <laughs> well, so then I just have to wonder, do you sleep? <laughs> yeah, I do. Because I don't know when you would have time to do all this this stuff. Uh, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. It doesn't, I think that there's a lot of things that normal people do that I probably should do that I don't do. And that's probably where I find the time. Um, you know, this is really just my priority is making music. And so there always has to be time for that above all else. And, um, and making music to me, it comes in like a vision. You know, I, I hear something in my head and then the recording of it or the, the making the making the demos is just getting that out. You know, it, it's not a painstaking or it shouldn't be. If it's too painstaking, I don't think I'm doing it right. But usually it's a very fluid process. Like I hear it and then I just kind of um, put it into a recording so that I can communicate it with my band, you know. I think if someone were to stumble upon you and they would look at all the different things you do, they'd think, oh my gosh, this person is crazy because I am crazy. <laughs> wildly different things. That you, but I think there's kind of this, this overall entertain, entertainment costume kind of performance aspect that just kind of permeates everything you do. Yeah. And that's maybe here's the weirdest question. I wonder about eyebrows and makeup and making videos. And if you were like a drag queen, if you pluck your eyebrows into one these little fine things, do they grow back? Or what happens at that point? Oh, man, they don't really grow back that well. <laughs> so, you know, you got to fill them in. It's cool. And so... Is this something I want young girls pluck all their eyebrows off and then they have to draw them the rest of their life or I mean I don't I don't really know I, I I'm pretty I'm like I'm, I'm I like to just do whatever's fast like whatever's quickest what's the, whatever like I like to do 10 minute glam or you know like I try to do as fast like my hair people are always like how long did it take you to do your hair and I'm like like three minutes like I try to find the fastest way to look like how I want to look and I, I'm not really painstaking about um, beauty procedures or like um, primping. Sometimes I like to take a long time doing my makeup because I find it really relaxes me, especially if I'm stressed out before a show. I will like sit in front of the makeup mirror and very slowly do my makeup and it calms me down a lot. But other than that, I don't really like to um, spend a lot of time primping. So on this show, a lot of times I end up talking to people who are creative and artistic and they, it, you know, we talk about what amounts to their artistic practice, which is, you know, how they stay sane via interacting with the universe. And so like the art itself is just kind of the byproduct of, you know, their practice of staying sane you know, whatever art it is that they do. I wonder, like, how do you spend, do you, do you think of what you do in that way? In, in what way? Well, so, like, I, I don't even know, 
do you feel like you do one thing for a short period of time? Like, what is your artistic practice? How do you, you have so many different talents and so many different skills. Is it just whatever project is calling you, that's what you're doing? Or do you do, you, uh, yeah. do a little yeah, bit every day? I mean, I like to do something every day. I, I, I feel like what I'm, I feel like all day, every day, I'm just kind of like receiving messages and then I filter them into where, like, I have a lot of different projects. I have a lot of different, like, um, you know, notepads in my phone for the different projects. And some idea will float into my head. And I'll either record a voice memo or I'll write down a lyric or I'll write down an idea for a funny thing or whatever. It goes into, I just don't, I, I try not to, I'm like an idea catcher. I try not to let ideas escape because those are the things that I'll build into a, into something bigger and better down the road. And sometimes it takes years, but I just have a bank and I like to just keep, I just keep putting money in the bank every day. And, um, and then if I have the time, I love to sit down and, and make something, but I don't, I'm not one of those people that really pressures myself to have a, a habit or a practice of writing every day. Um, I really, I have urges to write all the time, but I kind of like building it up. I like building up the urge so that when I do sit down, like something might come out that is a little bit, I don't know, more impassioned or feels more charged in some way. And I just, um, yeah, I don't, I, I guess my process is pretty haphazard, but, um, you know, if I have a specific project that I'm like gunning for, uh, it is different when I'm like really working on a record or really working on something that has a has a deadline of some sort. Um, I can get a little bit more structured in those times, but for the most part, it's just very free floating. And so, what were you doing today? It, on your well today, <laughs> it says it's a big secret prom queen deal. It is. It was really cool. I came back to Seattle to work with this cool team on this really cool project and I signed forms. I'm not really able to talk about it yet, but hopefully it won't take too long for it to be out in the world and I'll be able to share it. But, um, you know, it was really wonderful. That's always uh, good I when you that. sign forms. It means that you're, yeah, you know, you're doing something. Vague, I, no, I know that there's parts, I know there's parts of it. I'm probably allowed to say and parts that I'm not allowed to say. So I don't want to, uh, get those twisted so I'm not going to say anything <laughs> that's, that's probably the best the best <laughs> okay so what can we expect when you come to Boise at the Linen Building when you're playing with Prom Queen well um, we will be a four piece um, myself Tom my trusty drummer Tom he's been there since basically the beginning he's awesome uh, ben von Wildenhaus, who is, has his own project, ben, which is called Von Wildenhaus, um, he's an incredible musician, amazing guitarist. So I'm very delighted. He's the. I think I don't know if he's ever come on the road with us anywhere. Maybe I think he did a show with us in Portland, but for the most part, um, he's never been able to leave town with us. So um, he's going to be coming, and then um, Birch Pereira is playing bass and he has a group called the gin joints that are also playing tree fort. So he's playing two shows at tree fort. Um, so check out his other, it's sort of like a 1930s jazz sort of project, the gin joints kind of exactly what the name sounds like. 
Um, and he's a great uh, bassist and singer. So that's going to be the band. Uh, we're going to be playing stuff from probably all three of our albums and selling some vinyl probably and some CDs and if we can fit them in our suitcases, maybe even some T-shirts. And um, yeah, we'll be there on the 23rd. And are you just going to be there for the one day or are you going to spend some time in beautiful Boise, Idaho? Uh, that remains to be seen. I still need to actually figure that out. I haven't quite figured out my details. I've been dragging my feet a little bit because we, we had a lot of different thing, a lot of different ideas of what we wanted to do, and um, I need to just make a decision. So I don't know. I could be there for just the one day. I could be there for a couple of days. And then, what about some of your? Are you friends with other musicians in Seattle? And do you know of anyone else that's coming that we should look for? Oh. Well, for sure, Thunder Pussy. Thunder Pussy is definitely the act to see. Um, yeah, they, they've done Treefort probably three or four times, actually. Yeah, they're really fantastic live. They're they're such an incredible band, and they just they just signed a major label deal. It's really exciting. They're doing all these cool videos and stuff. So, just if you're not following them already, follow them. They're an amazing, amazing band. Yeah. And then anything else that you're working on that we should look for in the future? Oh, yeah, I'm working on a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know if it's, it might be too soon to announce this, but I'm, I'm working on a new record that might be coming out pretty quickly. <laughs> um, so I will, when, it's, when it's actually ready for me to say something official about it, I will. But um, new music will be coming very, very soon. Well, it's funny because I knew... A, I knew uh, I caught the viral piece that you made last, was it fall? The the Twin Peaks Stranger Things mashup thing. Oh, yeah, Stranger Peaks. Stranger Peaks, yeah. That was something. Yeah. So it's like, th that was a viral sensation. Nice work. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I was delighted. It was like just an idea that came in my head one day. I was sitting at my kitchen table, and I was like, I want to make this. And I made it, and then apparently people really liked it. You know, it was really um, uh, Peter Dom from Welcome to Twin Peaks. He put it on his website, and once he put it there, it just spread like wildfire. So that was super cool. It was really neat. Yeah, the Twin Peaks community is, is strange and wonderful. Yeah, and it's been great. It's been uh, They played it on KEXG a bunch, so it's gotten some radio play, which is really, really fun because I get texts every time it's on the radio people are like oh my god <laughs> well that was 42 minutes thank you so much for sharing it with us thank you that was great you bet you've been listening to Celine Ramadan on 42 minutes check out her work at her various check out her work at her various sites to which we'll link in the show notes for more information about the sync book our guests check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com if you like this podcast check out others there's currently all the syncbook radio archives are free we also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need all this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com thanks so much and my invite back to my invite back to Twin Peaks direct orders from Gordon Cole as he so succinctly put it I'm worried about Coop mm -hmm.